The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode 45, How to Get Ahead for Eternity. Isabel gasped. Owen, how did you get in here? Why are you here? Now, now, sister, that's hardly a warm greeting, is it? And after I came all this way just to see you. Owen pretended to be scandalized as he scrolled through Isabel's phone. That's private. Give it back. Isabel tried to grab for her device, but Owen held it just out of her reach, laughing. Isabel saw that her efforts were futile and gave up waiting until her brother tired of his little game of keep-away. Owen continued examining the contents of her phone. She had pressed the home button twice in succession before he wrested the phone out of her hand. That was Moot's command for an emergency logout. Owen couldn't see any of her conversations with Jack and Lucas, and her action would hopefully alert Moot that something was wrong. Moot was concerned. But before it could take any action... Jack and Lucas burst unceremoniously into the veil, Lucas nearly landing in Koshche's lap as he tumbled over himself. Rosamond smiled. Hello, sweet boy. What brings you? Lucas did a double take before Koshche the Deathless. My God, he breathed. Not quite, but thanks for the upgrade. Who is your friend? No time, Jack caught a pleading breath. We think Owen's here. He showed up without warning and he's with Isabel. Send the Domovoy to rattle his keys, Koshche directed. We'll be there presently. Already on it, Rosmond said, weaving a message apprising Vasily of their esteemed but unwelcomed guest. You have to help her. It was Lucas's turn to plead. We will, Koshche assured him. We'll intercept the young lord when Vasily has finished baffling him with bureaucracy. I'll pose as a visiting professor of Russian literature. A rogue sprig of oppressed nobility, perhaps. I'll take his honor drinking or something. We'll be best friends by last orders, I promise you. Don't get yourself all fired up, Sparky. Koshche winked, turned to Rosmond, kissed her hand gallantly, and they vanished back to the lab. Sparky? Lucas wondered aloud. Back in the biology lab, Owen had moved on to leafing through Isabel's dissertation notes. The witch's spell had stopped erasing things for the moment, but Isabel's script had become decidedly serpentine. She could read it clearly, but Owen made a show of turning pages round to different angles. What's all this? he asked incredulously. This is what you're devoting your life to when you should be supporting your family? Support runs both ways, brother, Isabel said very quietly. Owen pretended not to hear her, appearing to let some of the cased specimens on display distract him. Lightning fast, he reached his hand around the back of Isabel's head, looped her hair around his fist, and forced the side of her face hard into the table, 
narrowly missing giving her a cut under the eye from a notebook binding that was uncoiling at one end. He accomplished this casual cruelty in one fluid but forceful motion, not even looking down at his victim, an action born of long practice and little regard. Isabel remained silent. From experience, she knew that crying out would just excite him to further abuse, and no one would hear her anyway. For now, she closed her eyes, bit back the pain, and breathed. Owen nearly shrieked. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw something large poised near the hand that held his sister down. It was raising itself into an attack position. What is that bloody thing? It's red and leggy and ugh! He reached for a large reference book to strike with, but his posture made it impossible to turn his hand and swing his free arm with the balanced thrust needed for a good shot. Sighing, he pulled Isabel up and disengaged his hand from her hair much more roughly than was necessary. Isabel felt her cheek, then the back of her head. She'd have a bruise and a small bald spot for a while. She'd disguised worse from him in the past. That's Rosamond, Isabel said softly. I wondered where she'd gotten to. She's a bit stressed right now but I'll put down one of the small transport cages and when she's calmed down, she'll go inside and I'll put her back into her main cage up on the shelf. Owen was mollified, but Isabel knew appeasement wouldn't last long. Vasily didn't see the blow, but he was standing in the door when Owen let Isabel go. He cursed his short legs for not carrying him faster and he cursed the unwritten convention that said that although a domovoy could walk through the walls of his domain like the spirit he was, it wasn't a good idea to let his human charges see him do it. Paths, doors, hallways, and stairs took so much longer. He cleared his throat portentously. <clears throat> Who the bloody hell are you? Owen demanded. Porter Basil Lermont, sir, at your service. He looked at Isabel's rapidly bruising cheek and thought, And you shall be served, my lord, I promise you. Instead, he said, matter-of-factly, You did not check in at the porter's lodge, sir. You do not have a visitor's badge. I came to ensure that you ended up where you were meant to. Vasily held up a brightly colored numbered card on a lanyard decorated with the college escutcheon and motto. Where the student's command of Latin was lacking, Vasili's was excellent, and he took great delight in telling freshmen the noble phrase translated as bastards need not apply, and then asking helpfully whether they thought they were in the right place. I, I'm not a bastard, the brighter ones would protest. That may be a matter of opinion, Vasili would answer cryptically, stroking his long mustaches into the shape of a devilish beard. I'm meeting with the Chancellor tomorrow. I'm to dine with him at high table. My family are gifting the college a new building, one dedicated to the combined studies of political history, law, and commerce. Very good, sir. That's nearly half the deadly sins in one place. Very efficient of you, I'm sure. If, as you say, you are the Chancellor's honored guest, then you will be lodged in the Absinthia Suite in Bain Hall, a fine lodging, sir, very sumptuously appointed and historically significant. 
and you may be pleased to know no one has been murdered there in several centuries. Glad to hear it, Owen muttered, but for the moment you may leave us. I'm here to talk to my sister, and I haven't finished with her yet. Can't do that, sir. Why not? Because you haven't got a visitor's badge. Anyone not faculty, staff, or student needs a visitor's badge. Anyone outside these categories who doesn't have a visitor's badge is an intruder. And that is a matter for the authorities. Shall I ring for the constabulary, my lord? You wouldn't dare. Leave us, you jumped-up little jobsworth, before I strangle you with your lanyard, Owen shouted. Can't happen, sir. Safety class, see? Vasily clipped and unclipped the embroidered ribbon with the patient aplomb of a children's magician. Now if you'll just accompany me to the lodge... Owen screamed in exasperation. <sighs> Rosamond saw his color rise with his anger. She stood down, but not before she shot a few spiny hairs in his direction. Owen had turned to deal with Vasily, and she got him between the shoulder blades just low enough to be really annoying later and maybe cause an unsightly rash. Life's an itch, my lord, she said to herself, heading serenely for the little cage. He's a bully, isn't he? Koshche stepped into the doorway, dressed like a scholarly vivant. Isabel didn't recognize him. Everything is keys and compartments and rules with that one. He's a scourge on free spirits, I tell you. This is no way to treat the Chancellor's guest, Owen Kempion himself, such a great and influential family. Koshche had moved smoothly into the room, putting an arm around Owen and plucking the ticketed lanyard from Vasily's unresisting hand. Assign him this number, comrade. I'm taking our mutual friend out on this so-called town. I could use a drink, Owen admitted as Koshche led him away. Koshche winked at Vasily over his shoulder as they left. Koshche the Deathless, life of the party, Vasily said, shaking his head, smiling, and quickly assembling an ice pack for Isabel's cheek from the lab's cold storage. He sat with her for a time, alternately holding her hand and telling her bits of funny college gossip until she smiled. You are valued, milady, he said. But your brother is like a Russian demon. How so? Capricious, quite stupid, and easily blinded. Do not fear. I, how you say, I have your back. I have a friend who says that, Isabel said. He's Russian too. Your description of demons tallies with one of his stories. Seems like a wise young fellow. Where is he? Isabel wanted to say lost, but that wasn't quite true. He's between places to live. He checks in, she waved her phone. But I'm not sure where in the world he is exactly. He's had a bit of bad luck lately. Luck can change, my dear, Vasily said, in the twinkling of an eye or the fall of a tear. He let her cry herself to sleep on the lab sofa and tucked a blanket around her like a child. Watch her, Raisa. She's had a shock. I'm locking the doors. Her brother won't get in again tonight. I don't care how important a guest he is. Koshche can see him to his rooms when he's done with him. May his head feel like a table rose up to greet it tomorrow, again and again and again. 
Vasily quietly pounded his fist into his open hand several times for emphasis. Rosmond nodded, blew Vasily a kiss, and started humming a lullaby. It wasn't exactly a shot ringing out round the world, but Baba Yaga felt Isabel suffering at Owen's hand. Good boy, she thought. The princess is in for a rough time. That'll teach her for hanging around with thieves. It was almost the stuff of one of those bloody Scottish ballads. They were full of brothers who visited the family dishonor on their sisters in all sorts of ways. Murder might be excessive. Maiming would probably do. But the lad was a natural. Far be it from Yaga to stand in the way of true talent. When it came time for her story, Baba Yaga described a priest's cottage and little office attached to a church. Not more half-eaten corpses, Jack protested. No, dearie, I never tell the same thing twice. That's too much like praying, Baba Yaga began. There are a few stories about priests' sons in my country. Arrogant fools, most of them. When your father has God's ear, you don't tend to worry that someone is going to grab you by yours and pull you onto the right path. And priests are allowed to have sons in Russia. Well, lots did, anyway, regardless. So, too, in the West, most likely. Official celibacy has never been a particularly good deterrent, and the poor, overworked holy men had to have their housekeepers. I was told once the name Prescott comes from being left at the priest's cottage. A foundling or a by-blow, I wonder. In any case, there once was a priest, and he had a son who was no better than he had to be, but he was good at running errands. His father taught him the holy books and prayers, but sent him to an old tutor who had been attached to the royal household for his other subjects. One night, as the boy was coming back from his lessons, he thought he'd try to steal a peek at the young Serevna at her evening ablutions. Boys will be boys. He peered in as she was seated before her vanity, her chamber suffused with soft candlelight. She looked so lovely. As she was going through her nightly beauty rituals, the lad saw her pluck off her head and give it a good soapy wash with the ewer and basin. When she had rinsed off her face and set her hair, she popped her head back into place. She scrubbed up very well, as they say in the West. She's a witch, the boy said to himself, scared but thrilled at the same time. And he ran home and told everyone what he had seen. A few days later, the princess fell gravely ill. She begged her father, the Tsar, If I die, make the priest's boy say the psalms over me for three nights in a row. No sooner had her worried father promised on her life than she died. When the priest was told of the Tsar's command that his son keep vigil over the body reading psalms for three nights, he was very impressed. My son, it is a great honor for you to be allowed to prepare the Srevna's soul in this way. The boy wasn't so sure. He went to his usual lessons with his old tutor, the morning that the vigil was to begin, but his mind wasn't on his books. What's wrong with you? his teacher asked. The lad explained the service he'd have to perform. His teacher gave him an ornately decorated little knife with a cross for a hilt. 
Take this, my boy, and carve a circle with it around the body into the flagstones. Face away from the corpse while you read from the Psalter, and don't turn around no matter what you hear. The boy took the knife and promised to follow his tutor's instructions to the letter, something he'd never bothered with up to that point. He incised the circle around the corpse with the knife and began reading. At the stroke of midnight, the Tsarevna flew out of her coffin and tried to attack the boy, shrieking and moaning to wake the dead. The boy read until dawn, but did not turn around. He went blearily to his lessons. You survived! Good for you! His tutor was truly impressed. But if you thought last night was bad, tonight will be ten times worse. Take this hammer and four nails and drive them into the corners of the coffin. Though she might get the lid off, the nails will bind her. Hold the hammer in front of you like the cross as you read. The boy took his old teacher's advice and hammered the nails into the corners of the coffin, holding the hammer in front of him as he recited the holy words of comfort and admonition to the faithful. At midnight, the coffin lid flew off and the princess rose up and lunged for the boy, but she was pinned fast. She could only writhe and curse, conjuring flames and threatening to consume the boy with the fires of hell. In the morning, she fell lifeless back into the casket. The Tsar came to see the priest's son and the boy told him everything that had happened on the previous two nights. Heartbroken, the Tsar commanded that a stake be driven through his daughter's heart, for she was surely possessed of an evil spirit. The lad who had kept vigil and his father the priest were to attend this macabre but necessary ceremony, after which the priest would have the Serevna buried in unconsecrated ground once the prayers had been said to bind her spirit to her grave forever. After her last attempts on the boy, the Serevna had fallen back into the coffin face first, the priest thought it more fitting to rewrap her in grave clothes and place her facing heaven rather than hell, but the Tsar seemed in a hurry to get the ceremony over with. As the stake was raised over his daughter's corpse, her head turned right around on her neck and popped off, just as the lad had seen when he first spied on her. She smiled at her shocked parent then the head slowly turned and grinned at the boy. She got out of the coffin, calmly picking up her head and tucking it under one arm. She tucked the other arm into that of the lads, as if they were going on a walk. I don't know whether he's brave or stupid, father, but I'll tell you this. He hasn't got the head to be a priest or a scholar, and he's mine. In answer... The lad patted the slender hand on his arm. With his free hand, he plucked off his own head and tucked it deftly under his other arm, first letting it roll down the length of his arm like a juggler doing tricks. And together, the happily cursed lovers left the church, while the Tsar and the priest collapsed against each other, speechless for the rest of their lives. The Decameron Shuffled Seven of Clubs Isabel squared her shoulders. Hopefully my story will bring me better luck next week, she told everyone. I wouldn't bet on it, princess, Baba Yaga purred, logging off. I would, 
Koshchei said, pouring the unconscious body of the heir of Clan Kempion over the threshold of his suite. By the way, he whispered to the sleeping Owen, who was muttering sweet nothings, probably to himself. You can't hold your drink, and the Chancellor is a flighty old thing and an early bird. It's a breakfast meeting, 7 a.m. sharp. Have fun. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.